another adventure here on Southern Sense. You're listening to us live on Friday. Oh, Curtis, we have ourselves a whack-up job today to do on the show. Uh, We have a guest that we were supposed to have last week, Paul H. Tice, the author of The Race to Zero, How ESG Investing Will Create the Global Financial System. He was kind enough after the debacle last week of agreeing to come back on the show. We will get Will Schreff, um, who is the Missouri AG, on later on uh, this month. And Charles Moskowitz will also return to the show. Our three guests that were supposed to be here uh, this past week, and thank you, Blog Talk Radio, uh, for messing up uh, a wet dream. Uh, but we're getting over that. You can tell I'm not angry in the least bit. Nah, no, not in the least bit. Uh, no. Thank you, Blog Talk Radio, also for returning my email and my phone calls. This is what you do to a customer after 14 years. You can tell I'm not mad, am I? No. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah. It it is a good possibility that next week we will not be on Blog Talk Radio. We will be up on Facebook, on YouTube, on our homepage, on LinkedIn, on Twitch, on, oh, God, about eight different locations. We'll be broadcasting the live video podcast. So if you want to join us next week, uh, tune into one of those. Uh, I will list them on my homepage so you can find out where to go by going to southernsense.net or southern-sense.com. Either one will take you to our homepage. I'm going to work with my uh, guy who put my page together to make sure all those destinations are available at the click of a button on our homepage. And hope you sit back and enjoy it and see not just my smiling face, you see everyone else at the same time. That'll be a lot of fun. <laughs> won't get yeah well here in florida we are getting ready for our primary which starts um monday for us so i'm looking forward to um the beginnings of this 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 process which will accumulate and electing um hopefully a new leadership for this country what about well, we South had Carolina? our primary here in South Carolina, we had our primary just this past week, and uh, Nikki Haley took only three counties out of 46. There's 46 counties in uh, Beaufort, and I'm sorry, in South Carolina here, and she took my county, Beaufort County, uh, Charleston, and Lexington, and those are the three largest urban areas within the state, which she she campaigned pretty heavily in this area. She was here like almost every other day, bouncing between the three counties. So she pinned her hopes on the large population areas. But Donald Trump got 60% of the votes. And in normally in primary times, only 10% of the populace, of the registered voters will go out to vote in a primary. We had 23.3%. We more than doubled the number of people who turned right. out for a presidential primary vote. But we also have our regular primary coming up in June. That's for all the other candidates on the down part of the ballot. Uh, So there is a second primary. This one was just for the presidential. And believe it or not, people still voted for (laughs) – I can't believe it. I think there was 46 people voted for Chris Christie. (laughs) What? 46 people actually voted for the fat pant load. And and Ron DeSantis was still on the ballot as well as Vivek Ramaswamy because the ballots had already been printed. Uh, but it was interesting, and uh, congratulations to Donald Trump. 
And Nikki Haley, she said she's not suspending her campaign. She's waiting for Super Tuesday to see what happens. Uh, but here, here lies the problem, and we'll talk about this later on. I don't want to waste too much time, uh, but those that listen to the show, not to change the subject, those that listen to the show know that we start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And today's dedication is going to go out to police officer Matthew Hare of the, e- of the Easley Police Department, or they should say Isley Police Department, here in South Carolina. His end of watch was Wednesday, August 2nd of 2023. And there is not a lot written about this, but I'm going to piece a couple of these together to help you understand better what went on. And this is from the Greenville Online, written by Chalmers Rogland. And he writes, The funeral and celebration of life service for the Isley police officer who died in the line of duty was held. Matthew Logan Hare, 22, was struck and killed by a train in the early hours of August 2nd while assisting an individual undergoing what officials say was a, quote, a mental health crisis, unquote. Several hundred members of the community and law enforcement, as well as Governor Henry McMaster, attended the service honoring his life. Individuals who knew Hare included his great-uncle Perry Stansel, who spoke during the ceremony and shared memories of him as a cheerful, selfless, and purposeful individual who was committed to his job. Hare was hired by the Eisley Police Department in October of 2022 and graduated from the South Carolina Criminal Justice Academy in March of this year. Hare was a graduate of the Eisley High School where he played football. He's remembered as an avid fan of Clemson football, and his greatest joy came from spending quality time with his loved ones. I'm going to move over to his obituary that was placed in the Robinson Funeral Home. And they wrote, Officer Matthew Logan Hare, an esteemed member of the Isley Police Department, passed away on August 2, 2023, in Isley, South Carolina. He was born on February 3, 2001, and leaves behind a legacy of courage and selflessness. Matthew began his journey in law enforcement in 2022 after graduating from Isley High School in 2019. His passion for serving his community led him to enroll in the South Carolina Criminal Justice Academy, where he acquired the skills and knowledge necessary to excel as a police officer. Matthew's dedication to his profession was admired by all who knew him. Beyond his commitment to his career, Matthew had a vibrant personality that lit up any room he entered. He cherished the love and support of his family and friends above all else. He held a special bond with his mother, Ashley Hare, and his brother, Isaiah Hare, who will forever remember him with love in their hearts. He was predeceased by his grandmother, Deborah Rogers Hare, whom he affectionately called Nana. In his free time, Matthew embraced a wide range of interests and hobbies. He was an avid fan of Clemson football and took great joy in cheering his favorite team. His competitive spirit extended beyond the stadium as he enjoyed playing video games with his friends. Matthew's greatest joy came from spending quality time with loved ones. 
whether gathering around the dinner table or embarking on outdoor adventures. He cherished every moment shared with family and friends. Matthew's warm smile and contagious laughter brought happiness to those around him. Despite having a life filled with promise and potential ahead of him, Matthew Hare tragically lost his life while bravely saving the life of someone he had never met. This selfless act is a testament to his character and unwavering dedication to protecting others. Matthew's sacrifice serves as a powerful reminder of the profound impact one person can make on their community. Officer Matthew Hare touched the lives of many with his kindness, bravery, and unwavering commitment to justice. His memory will forever live on in the hearts of those who knew him. As we bid farewell to a remarkable young officer, taken too soon from us, let us remember Matthew as an inspiration and a shining example of what it means to serve others with selflessness and compassion. And back to the Greenville Online by Chalmers Wogling. And he continues, A large crowd of mostly law enforcement gathered outside the church and afterward welcomed a procession that started at Robinson Funeral Home. A number of law enforcement helicopters also participated in a flyover. The procession departed the funeral home onto South 1st Street and from there left onto West 1st Avenue, right onto South Pendleton Street, and left onto Highway 123 towards Greenville before ending at the church. Harris' casket was removed from the hearse shortly before 11 a.m. Sergeant James Ryan from the North Charleston Police Department played the bagpipes while law enforcement filed inside the church where members of the community were already seated. Reverend Lawson Clary of Five Point Church in Isley began the ceremony with prayer and opening remarks. Clary and others said Hare was a hero for saving someone he did not know. He said, I'll never really, I've never really known a hero till now, and I hate that this is the way I got to feel that that's what it's like. This was from Sensel, who said, But I do thank the Lord for the short time we all had Matthew and the short time I got to spend around him. Everyone knew that Matthew was going to always do the right thing no matter what. This was from the Uniform Patrol Captain Brendan Liner at his funeral. The South Carolina Law Enforcement Division announced that the woman Hare assisted was charged with breach of peace aggravated in nature. It was later amended to have her charged with his death. According to the warrant church charge from SLED, the woman laid down a course of tracks while intoxicated and resisted law enforcement's attempt to remove her. That charge will be prosecuted by the 13th Judicial Circuit Solicitor's Office, according to SLED. The circumstances that surrounded are tragic. We anguish over that, Dr. Chris Jordan, chaplain with the Isley Police Department. After remarks, Hare's end-of-watch radio call was held, and he was honored with a 21-gun salute. As I read 
the reports, it appeared this woman was highly intoxicated, laid down upon the tracks, and when the officers attempted to remove her, she fought with them. His partner was able to get her off the tracks with Hare's help, but in the attempt, an Amtrak struck him and killed him. He was unable to escape before he died, before the train came. We dedicate this show to police officer Matthew Hare. We also dedicate it to all the brave men and women out there who serve as first responders, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. We also dedicate this show to the brave men and women that serve in our military from the birth of this nation through today and into our hopeful future. And we dedicate to them this song by Tiffany, Soul of a Nation. May God bless each and every one. That's because I forgot to unmute myself <laughs> on my end. Oh, jeez. Now okay. you can hear me, I bet. Mm-hmm. There we All go. Right. Loud there and we clear. Go. Loud and clear. I forgot to turn my, my microphone back on. But uh, I hope these people right. heard the dedication. I really do hope they heard the, uh, sound, the song didn't. and everything else. You didn't hear the song? I did. No, it seems oh, you like did. today whenever you, you mute me, I mean, I'm muted. I my ears too. <laughs> oh, jeez. So okay. I like I said, it's it's outside of my forgetting to turn the little knob on my end once the song ended. That's my fault. But if you didn't hear the song, the dedication song, then this is Blog Talk Radio's problem because that board was lit up and it was showing as broadcasting. So again, mm-hmm. all, all the reason why we're getting off Blog Talk Radio as soon as possible and Curtis and I are going to do a test run on Sunday and hopefully we'll have it up and running by Friday. So instead of going on to Blog Talk, you just go over to my homepage or to Facebook or to YouTube and half a dozen other places that it's going to be up on. Uh, we'll, I'll have that listed on our our webpage. I'm going to talk to my uh, guy that does the webpage for me, and we'll get that straightened out. And I, that, that's yeah, it. I, I, that, a, I had it. I see in the chat room that Pianchi, he, he too, um, had no sound. But he says, don't worry, nothing seems to work right any longer. Yeah, thank you, Blog Talk Radio. All the money we spent over all these years, and this is how we get treated. Uh, thank you for also returning the phone calls, uh, which they did not do. So, yeah, thank you uh, for re- not returning the emails, which they did not do. So, anyway, um, I do believe this might be Panky in the. Uh, is this Panky? Yes, we Hello? can hear you. Hello, you're live. 
We can't hear you on blog talk. But you as I said, uh, as I said hey, in the Pierre. chat, yeah, how are you, sir? As I said All in the right. chat, I don't, I don't. It doesn't bother me anymore because it seems like nothing works right, and everything is right just upside there. down. Especially the country. Yes, it's <laughs> everything messed up. And you know something else too. Uh, you know I'm a volunteer for Louisiana and Convention of States. And anyone can do an Article 5. It can be the Girl Scouts. It can be a fraternity. It can be a church group. Anyone can do an Article 5, and I don't think people know that. It's just that uh, Convention of States have been doing it for a long time. And there are uh, several other groups that's doing it also. But uh, some of the proposals that's made are really excellent proposals. Like we talk about them all the time. Like any bill should stand alone. A bill should not be cluttered up and with hitting objectives in it like we see with this aid bill where we have several countries and other avenues that the Congress would like to have done. And another one that I talk about all the time is that elected federal Congress people, whether representatives or U.S. senators, they should be paid by the states that they represent. They should not be paid out of the big Washington, D.C. kitty because once they get there, you have no way to keep up with them, and surely any of their transactions, inputs or outputs are not transparent. Be paid by Mississippi if you represent Mississippi. Be paid by Texas or Iowa or Maine. That way, your money will be deposited in a state bank account, and if needed, people can have idea of what's going on. Where did this $2.3 million come from that's now in your account? Well, there's a lot of things we can do to take this government under control, and I actually have three of them posted uh, behind my computer screen that I've had, oh, good Lord, for at least good 12 years, and one of them is to abolish the Federal Reserve. Um, make the deadline for filing your income taxes the day before the, you have to file it the day before you vote. So you vote on the 5th of November. Uh, on the 4th of November, you file your income taxes. When you go to that voting booth after you're crying over how much of a check you had to give to Uncle Sam, you're going to vote rather conservatively. You want to make sure you know where your money is going. <laughs> you got that right. That's a good point right. there. I agree with you on the Federal Reserve, too. Go ahead, sir. Go ahead, please. And then the third one would be to abolish all federal withholding of taxes so that you as the individual responsible for paying your taxes, and you can then turn around and bankroll that money, get interest on it, and then when it's time to pay your taxes, you got a little extra on the side. <laughs> well, you know, well, you know I already do then, that. And you, I do that, and you know what? They penalize me. They say yeah, that now uh, they tax you, your, your interest. Yes. They now tax they, your interest. They, right. They penalize it. It's not that much. But I, uh, mm-hmm. if you're retired, you're allowed to get a form that you can do that, which I've done. I say, don't take out no, don't withhold any taxes. And I pay them at the end of the year, if, you know, for what I do. But uh, then they want to penalize you. They yeah. need to get rid and of the IRS, period, and let the. Let the U.S. Treasury handle those things. Get rid of the Federal Reserve. The U.S. Treasury can handle those things. 
Well, this is one one of the reasons why I like the fair tax, because I'm going to pay tax on what I want. So if I want a $200 TV, not a $2,000 TV, I'll pay tax only on a 200 And if I want to spend and splurge and, and say, okay, I don't care how much money I send to the government, you go buy that $2,000 TV. Then you can be foolish enough to pay that. I can get the same thing with a $200 TV, and I'll be happy with that. So that you only pay taxes on things you actually need. And the best part about that is if you go to some of these secondhand sh- uh, shops, you know, these antique shops and so forth, you're not paying any tax because the tax has already been paid. You're paying tax only once. So if the guy who's making the loaf of bread, he's not paying the tax to the on the stuff he's purchasing from the farmer. The farmer's not paying tax on the stuff he's purchasing to put in the in the ground. The only tax is there is on the very end product. So that three dollars sixty nine cents of loaf of bread that's sitting on the shelf, thank you, President Obama, down to ninety nine cents. There's so many things we can do to take this government under control. And you mentioned about having bills being specific. There has been several proposals to put out there. If the bill cannot be written on one or two pages, you don't present it. It's got to be a clean Absolutely. bill. It's got to be one issue on that bill. And it has to be proven by the Constitution that is constitutionally granted that power to pass that bill. How many bills have gone through Congress? You should have a, and you should have a show on that one that day. It's one of the 13 enumerated powers. If it doesn't fit those 13 enumerated powers, it doesn't even come onto the floor, much less go into committee. I mean, I, you can get me on a rant that goes on and on and on. <laughs> it has to show its constitutionality. It just can't pop out of the clear sky. If it can't show that, then it, it can't become a bill. Like you say, that there's the, well, the offer. It shouldn't and now, become a take, bill. And take away enforcement powers from regulatory agencies that cause criminal action. I'm sorry. If there's a spill, that's a criminal action. Okay, fine. But when you have someone who's being penalized because some bureaucrat around in some back hallway in D.C. or, you know, what, Georgia, has decided that, I'm sorry, the only color of ink you can use is pink, not blue, and they're going to fine you for some dumb crap like that, I'm sorry. There's so many regulations well, you, on the books that don't even belong there. There should have to be a you know where reason that comes why under? you need that regulation in place. You know, that comes under the fact that any regulation should be voted on by Congress. The regulations exactly. we see coming out of these alphabet agencies from the AFT and they should be voted on by Congress. Also, any head of a bureau, after 24 years, they got to get out. They have to get out. No official can serve longer than 24 years. It's 18 years for representatives and U.S. senators. Three turns for a senator, nine turns for a representative. Then they got to go. If you haven't made enough money under the table by then, then you need to quit and get into another profession. <laughs> well, one of the problems is that one of the problems is that Congress have abdicated their powers and and pass it over to these, as you say, alphabet um, agencies or bureaucracies so they can have an excuse to say, well, it, it wasn't us. But uh, I'm glad you, you guys are talking about constitutionality because here in Florida there was um, talk of getting a bill passed to um, um, deny minors access to social media. 
and as much as we would like kids to, to be safe from social media, I think it's the parents' responsibility and not the government because where do you go next if the government get involved? So yes, Ron, DeSantis, right. Ron DeSantis has said, well, I'm a little leery about, you know, passing this bill because of, you know, it may violate, you know, people's constitutional rights. And I have to agree with him on that because um, you, you, you step down that road, you know, you open that door, then what else is the, are they going to censor? Well, you know, another thing, too, is that these courts, courts do not make laws. The Supreme Court does not make laws. It has no enforcement authority. And we've seen, like in Texas, where the federal judge said that Texas has no right to be pursuing illegal. Well, that's not true. Texas is a sovereign country slash state, and they have a right to protect its borders and what's going on inside of its borders. The federal it's in their constitution. Yes, yes, the federal government is supposed to protect the national borders, which usually start at the waterline and comes in a little bit to allow an easement along parallel the shore. But when you come in further, you're in Texas. You come in further, you in Louisiana, and these judges have no business making those type of dictations on these states. That's their property. And, I mean, we could just go on and on and on and on. It's gotten completely out of control, and it's not in just one spot. It's everywhere. I was parked in front of a, a racetrack, gasoline place. A car pulled up alongside of me. And I could swear to you, the guy looked just like Yasser Arafat. Had the head grub on and all that. And he looked like he'd been <laughs> in one or two too many uh, pool rooms. This guy was not no, he wasn't from Louisiana. I never seen anybody from Louisiana with his phenotypical feature. So you got these illegals all over the place. They're all over the place. And we're not against well, immigration. We want to be done according to the law. And it's not right being done like that. Well, you know, I got to say one thing though that uh, Texas does have good standing because the uh, person in the federal court that said that uh, Texas doesn't have the ability to uh, defend its borders, um, they were saying that they did not. Texas did not prove there was an invasion. Well, how do you define an invasion when people illegally enter your company and their country and they're alien to that country? That's an illegal alien invasion. When you have them in mass in the numbers, tell me that is not an invasion. Well, I hear what you're saying. Explain to me how that is not an invasion. Yeah, it shouldn't have been a judge decision anyway. It should have been left up to Texas to determine what an invasion looks like. If they come in your house and sit down at the table and start eating your peach cobbler, what are you going to call that? Well, no, you don't get into the fact that. Thank you, thank you. But wait, wait, wait. You've got now Michigan that's asking its citizens to take illegal yeah. aliens into their homes to feed them, to clothe them, to drive them around to social services and to school and to the doctor and this and that. I'm sorry. 
I'm barely even able to put bread on my own table. And you want me to take in someone who is entered our country illegally. They have no way of verifying who they are. No one has done a health screen check on them, much less as a background criminal check on them. You want me to take them into the privacy of my own home, defenseless, and I have to pay for it out of my pocket. Oh, somewhere along the way, you're going to reimburse me. But you're giving these illegal aliens all this government tax money and NGO money, and yet it's got to come out of my pocket so I house them for you because you invited them into a state. Not, I didn't, didn't – I'm sorry. We're in the Constitution about quartering troops in the House. Talk about illegal invasion. That's quartering the troops <laughs> of those illegal aliens into my home, and you're violating the Constitution on two fronts. Thank you very much. Get out of the, my face. That was in the that was in the Fugitive Slave Act. You're absolutely right. That needs to be applied to what they're trying to accomplish right now. And you know something else. You really want to see something astonishing. Go to the uh, U.S. immigration and let me travelstate.gov, <laughs> and they list the number the the shots that in, vaccinations an immigrant is supposed to have. It's about 12 of them. It's about 12 different vaccinations. But these people are coming across the border by the millions. They haven't had anything. And it only makes common sense because if you give the excuse that they are fleeing their government because of tyranny, they're not going to let that tyranny stick them in the arm with a vaccination so they ain't been vaccinated. Yeah, it's well, yeah, certain, so certain um, diseases are on the rise here in the United States, and they, they act like they don't know why. <laughs> Most people could just look at the southern border and figure it out. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Diseases don't go, they just go dormant. And if they have given the opportunity, it come right back and cause all sorts of harm and chaos to you. So there's a lot of things that need to be discussed. A lot of things that need to be talked about because as it stands right now, this country is completely out of control. It's completely yeah. out of control. And we've got to well, take that... it back. And you know one other thing, well, too, before I leave. I, I know, see, we've, it's, it, it has became so anxious that we talk over each other. It's not due to disrespect. <laughs> we just pissed off. But those governors that are sending their National Guard and their militia, you know, Louisiana has an unorganized militia, which is the people, not the National Guard that the president can federalize. But those governors, those 20-some-odd governors, you know what they should do? They should get their legislators to remove Joe Biden off the ballot, off the state ballot. See, you got to fight fire with fire. We're too kind. Absolutely. We're too gentle. Now, and by being that, look what it has gotten us. They don't respect kindness. Mm-hmm. They don't respect morality. They don't respect you being polite. They try to go for your juggler bang, and we have to do the same thing. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, you actually started to segue, segue me into something I wanted to talk about because Trump just on Wednesday was uh, pulled off the ballot in Illinois. And it was a Cook County judge, Tracy Porter. And as I understand, um, she happens to be a judge in traffic court. So what the heck a traffic court judge doing pulling him off the ballot? But wait, she stayed her own her own 
uh, judgment uh, pending an appeal to the Supreme Court. Arguments are being heard in the Colorado uh, case. Um, so here you've got a minor court judge in Illinois declaring Trump ineligible for being on the ballot and the cause being insurrection. Wait a minute. Don't we have in the Constitution that we have to face a jury of our peers, uh, that we are innocent until we are proven guilty in a court of law? And somehow or other, this judge seems to have thrown that premise out the window. She's already deemed him guilty of something before even standing trial. Oh, but didn't the judge in New York deem Trump guilty of that civil penalty before even having the trial? He just said he looked over the evidence before the trial started. He already said he was guilty before it even hit the fan. He said that Leticia James. Yep. Now bring it around to Leticia James and her prosecution and the penalty awarded uh, in the case. Uh, Here we go. This is an opinion uh, written by... uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who is a liberal, uh, in February of 2019 in Tims versus Indiana, and the high court voted 9 to 0 that in this case, the Eighth Amendment is applicable to all states. And the Eighth Amendment clause is the protection against excessive fines, cruel and unusual punishment. So excessive fine being Wade, uh, given to Donald Trump, he has a very good chance of having that New York State court case tossed way out the window. So we're seeing yes. well, it, that the guys are doing to brought. keep him off the ballot backfiring. Yes, it, right it never should have been brought. Look what the governor said. The governor told other companies, don't worry, this won't apply to you, only Donald Trump. These actions that we just done to him, you don't have to work. You know where you see that all the time, what they're accusing him of done? When you have an automobile accident and you go to a body shop and you're seeking an estimate on what it would cost to repair the damage, one of the signs outside the body shop is what? We will work with you on your deductible. Well, what does that mean? That means that at the total amount that it costs for us to fix your car is 9500 and you got to pay a deductible that the insurance company deducts and pays you 9000 Well, we will bill you $10,000. That way, when they deduct the 500 then you will have paid what we as expense. It's the same thing. It goes on well, all over the place. Well, Mr. Wonderful from Shark Tank, he came out and said, you know, pretty much that what they're charging the former president with is what they threw throughout the business, you know, with estimates. Mm-hmm. So he, he was well, like, I'm, you know, this is a dangerous, this is a dangerous road to, you know, to go what, down. The, the, what Letitia James did was just basically say to any person wanting to do business in New York, possibly relocating a business to New York, I'm sorry. Whatever you do, we're going to find a way to get money out of you by penalizing you, by bringing you, dragging you into court with all the expenses for your lawyers and everything else. We're going to fine you, even though you may be completely innocent or it may be a normal business practice, but we're going to make it so prohibitive for you to do business here that you're not going to want to come, in essence, is what she has done. And she's thrown more fire into that, more fuel onto the fire by suing a company that is a 
the world, the, I'm sorry, the nation's largest uh, meat manufacturer, producer. Uh, it was, what the heck is that? Uh, it was J something or other. Um, uh, here we go. I, I have it in one of these printouts here. Um, she's saying that, here we go. This is it. JBS USA, the world's, it, it is the world's largest producer of beef. Over the company's emissions for greenwashing or allegedly misleading the pop public about its environmental impact now i'm sorry what they're trying to do is take us off of eating meat they want us to eat plant-based foods we're human beings we are natural carnivores we need certain proteins in our body for our bodies to be healthy and to survive but make that even worse panky they have a, 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 a thing going on in the u.n where they want to eliminate all humanity from eating meat because they're saying it, it, the people are starving in the world because they can't get enough food. So what do you do? You tell people in the poor country who can't grow enough food to, to begin with. They can't eat the meat that you, you capture, know. whether or not dog, squirrel, rabbit. No, no, I'm sorry. You're starving, but you can only eat plants. The UN wants you to eat only, only plant-based foods to take the meat away. It, it is complete insanity. You complete know, insanity. human beings... Human beings used to have pronounced canine teeth on the corners of their jaws, and as time has evolved, and we don't have, we can we we're eating cooked food, which actually extends your life because your digestive system don't have to expend so much energy to try to digest. So we are carnivores. You're absolutely right. And what determines a ethnic group, a demographics? Meals, what they eat is their geographical location. That's People true. that's in the northern area is going to need what beef has to offer, more so than someone that's on the equator. It's Protein, just the opposite yeah. around. Now, 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 now here I will throw another monkey wrench, more fuel onto the fire of this liberal insanity about cutting out uh, eating meat. Now everything's got to be plant-based. However, plants need one vital thing for so- photosynthesis. They need CO2. Yeah, and they want to get CO2, CO2 emissions right. because we're in a massive climate change. Human beings are changing the environment. Yes, we're changing the environment of the, of the world, but we're not changing the climate in itself. It is the power of the sun that alters our climate. And then by the intensity of the sun will determine how much CO2 is actually in the atmosphere. The warmer it is, the more CO2, because more plants are now thriving. More animals are now thriving, so more is being released. But we need that for photosynthesis so more plants can grow. So if you reduce CO2 and the world is cooling, less plants are going to grow, less food for people to eat. And if people are only eating plant-based foods, more people will starve. Mr. UN Representative? Absolutely. Now, I, get, I got a question. Go ahead, sir. I got a question. It's a little off the topic here, but I want to get your your views on this, Pianchi. Can anybody tell me what is a Christian nationalist? I'm, I'm hearing this term banter about here lately. Look, all these <laughs> new words and definitions... Is beyond me. I can't keep up with him. No, no, no. I, I've got the answer to that. I got the answer. This was a rant from someone what is that? on uh, on MSNBC, I believe it was on. This guy was an author about um, the what is it? Uh, what was his book about? It was against white privilege. 
Um, it was okay. the it's bad power of white privilege or something like some BS like that. Of course, it's a white guy who wrote the book, of course. But he got went on this huge big rant about MAGA people and these Christian nationals that live in rural areas. He's saying that all this right wing insanity is coming out of the rural areas that is that is controlled by white people that are Republican and they're Christians and they're nationalists and they're gun owners. I'm sorry. I'm in a rural area. And across the street, I had a couple of lesbians living there. Uh, I don't think they fall into Christian nationalists. Uh, they recently moved to the next city over. And recently, a, a great gentleman uh, moved in next door, who happens to be black. Um, he's Christian. Um, I don't know if he's a nationalist. He's a very lovely man. As a matter of fact, I'm inviting him to my wedding party coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, where do we get this? This is predominantly well, see, white. It's been going on for quite. It's been happening for some time. They have neutered whites in this country to whereas they don't say anything anymore by being threatened to being called a racist and white supremacist and everything else. I feel sorry for the white male because he has been neutered, and I have said this many times. White males is the one that need to take back this country. Blacks don't have the numbers, and they don't have the gumption to say it because they, too, have been threatened in looking at the positions that they work in. And if something is not done, we're going to have a heck of a thing on our hands. I support the U.S. Constitution, and I love this country. The course of events that led to me being here, I didn't have anything to do with it, but guess what? I'm glad that I'm here today. And I want to leave a better country for my children and everyone else's children so that they contribute to make it better. Right now, that is not happening. A immigrant does not come into the country to make their lives better. They come into a country to help making the country better. Immigration is not a right. It's a privilege. And exactly. Barbara Jordan said It's a privilege. Mm-hmm. And right now what we're witnessing is not only going against the laws or not only common sense, Some but violation. the laws of this country. And Joe Biden should have been removed Impeach. from his office because of derelict of duties and abandonment of his oath. That's right. Exactly. But they exactly. don't have the guts. And- they don't have the backbone. No. No. We get it through the House, but it'll never go through the Senate at this point in time. It's true. And I've always said from day one, hey, listen, I don't know of anyone in this world who have, has ever been asked to be born except one person, and that was Jesus Christ. Only one person asked to be born, the Son of God. Now, I, was, well, I, I didn't ask to be born. And I didn't ask Uh what body to be born or to what parents to be born, and yet I was born. So whatever happens to me from the moment of my birth, and I am cognizant of what is right and wrong, is my responsibility. How I act, how I behave. What happened to people before me and with the lineages before me, I'm not responsible for that. I am responsible for my own actions and how I behave and how I treat others. 
And if we start thinking like that, maybe we will treat each other like equal human beings. But I'm not seeing that. We have to place people in these categories. You know, you've got your white male power. You've got this. You've got that. You've got – and all of a sudden, we lose our humanity. We're losing our humanity by stopping to not even see each other as an equal human being. I bleed red just like you do. So what is the problem here? I have talents that are different than your talents, but we will both want the same thing. We want everyone to just get along, and I want a nice, peaceful, happy, prosperous life. But there's people that are out there that are perpetually unhappy, and the only time they can be happy is when they make you unhappy. And that's what we're facing. People that are and that's true. And, the, that, and, and they're attacking your kids. They are attacking your kids in all sorts of deviant ways. You know, that there oh, is yeah. a travesty. The children are not being educated whereas they can compete on a world scene. No child, no child wakes up in the morning wanting to be a failure. They spring out of the bed. They're putting on their clothes, brushing their little teeth, because they're getting prepared for what the day has challenged. And we are letting the children down. And that's a shame. That's a sin. Yeah. It's a sin. No, when you, and if you talk about you going tell, to the pearly gates, you're going to have all these babies that's going to be standing there at the pearly gates with their double-edged swords, and they're going to be waiting on you because of what you've done to them. You denied them their mm-hmm. right to be able to enjoy the world, not only the world, but to enjoy the United States of America. You got much to pay for. They're taking away the child's innocence. And a child looks to the parent for teaching, for guidance. And what our government has done now is taken that, that gift of a parent has to give to their own child away from the parent and say, no, we know better on how to raise your child. And then they take that child at the age of three or four or five, and then they start to teach them deviant behaviors, placing them in these with these story time things and libraries and clubs and everything else, telling them because you were born white, you're bad, separating them in the classroom by their ethnicity. And telling them, no, no. Oh, by the way, you're not a boy. You're actually a girl, simply because you like playing with trucks and not dolls. And there's got to be one good glimmer of hope in all of this, because the Pope, I'm sorry, I'm not a big fan of the Pope. I was raised Roman Catholic. And when I saw him being elected, I said, no, something's very fishy here, because I knew he was a socialist. However, maybe the hand of God is placing it on his shoulder and saying, son, don't screw this one up, because the Pope said we need to do an investigation into this gender, this, as he called it, ugly identity. And he's saying there's something wrong when a man is not a man, a woman is not a woman. That is not how God formed us. And he said, you, t- you turn around, you take away our gender identity, and you make us all one, so that no one knows it's, you're fluid. So you're a female one day, you're male the next. No, no, no. That's not what God had in plan for us. When you take away our ability to identify ourselves, who we are, and how we were created, then you take away our humanity. And he said that right. And he said this has got to stop. So if the Pope, who, like I said, I'm not a big fan, but when he does something right, I'm going to call him and say, thank you, sir. Thank you for finally listening to God's word. 
there is hope when someone like that turns around and says, mm, we got a problem here, folks. This has got to stop. When we get something like 22% of our youth are now identifying as non-binary or transgender, when it was 0.66% just a mere 10 years ago, we have a problem. When you have children that are revolting against their parents at a very young age, before they're even able to understand what their actions and the ramifications of their actions are, we have a problem. When parents will not know what is going on inside a school, what's being taught to them, and they're being barred from learning, we have a problem. When the FBI tells us that those very same parents are terrorists and should be watched and probably prosecuted, we have a problem. We have a problem here in America. We have forgotten the reality. We have forgotten our hearts. We have forgotten our souls. We have forgotten what our founding fathers fought for. The very document yeah, this, this, that gives us this stuff rights and laws statues. and that's republic. Taking down statues is deplorable. Robert E. Lee, if it wasn't for him, Texas would still be, he helped to prevent it, Texas would still be under the auspices of Mexico. He was a heck of a general. The times were the times. You don't take down mm-hmm. your history and throw it away because what will they replace it with? It's just like the judge said, we need to have an all-black voting district, okay? What's next? An all-same-sex couple voting district? An all-Asian voting district? I told people that, and I talked to them, when you go to register, when it comes to the line where it asks you your, your demographics, you put other. Don't put black. Don't put white. Because that is where they derive the data in order to come up with these crazy schemes. In Louisiana, exactly. they, got, they created a district that runs from New Orleans. Now, get this, from New Orleans clean way up to Alexander. Those people in Alexander is not really Louisiana's because they don't like crawfish. Who don't like crawfish <laughs> and you from the bayou? Well, Peggy, I've got my guest here on, on the phone. I want to thank you for calling in. Um, but keep on listening in and keep on calling in. We always love having a chat with you. All right. Thank you very much, and have a pleasant, safe weekend. You too. All right. We have our guest who should have been here last week, but because of technical difficulties, I couldn't even get my co-host to call in. Matter of fact, he just dropped off the line. Uh, welcome to the show, Paul H. Tice, and his book is The Race to Zero, How ESG Investing Will Crater the Global Financial System. Welcome to the show, Paul. I am your host with the least mostest, Annie, Annie Ubelis, the chickadee. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Annie. Good to be with you finally. All right. And I apologize. It seemed like it was whole system-wide, and as my co-host just called you into the show, he just got dropped. So we're working on a new system. So hopefully the next time you come on the show, we will have a bigger and better production and not be using these clowns. Anyway, um, I was I, when I was told by Paul that you had this book coming out, I'm sorry, Stefan, that you had this book coming out, um, I was thrilled to get it, and he sent it to me, and it was a wonderful read. And I'm not going to go through the whole entire book. I just want to give people enough taste so that they will go out and buy it and see the danger that we're in. And I have to say, I've said this many times, I'm a little bit older than I sound, um, but working for American Express back in the 19, uh, 1980s, the early 80s, 
um, they started doing this wokeness. And I was born without a liberal gene in my body. And when they went around saying, well, we want you to donate X amount of your paycheck into these various different causes, I looked at the list, and on the list there was only one I agreed with. All the others were the 1980s woke. And I recognized this, but back then we didn't call it woke. And through over time, as I go through the years, I saw how what was once something voluntary, voluntary, you may want to donate part of your paycheck um, to now we will invest your money, whether you like it or not, into these woke things. When did that change? When, was, when did it stop being voluntary and now it's mandatory? I, there's got to be something behind that. No, and, I mean... It, by the way, exactly what is an ESG? So people that are listening who are not familiar may find their IRAs or their savings accounts or other investments invested in here. Tell them what an ESG is first. So ESG is uh, environmental, social, governance factors, um, and these are non-financial factors, and the theory is that they should be driving your corporate policy and your investment decision-making. Um, it's a morally subjective set of, of metrics, and you know it's based on the theory of stakeholder capitalism, which says that companies need to be run for the good of society and for people and planet as opposed to their owners and their, their capital providers and their employees. Um, so it's really not capitalism. Uh, it may be the end stage of capitalism, but at the end of the day, ESG and sustainable investing is the government working through third parties to direct companies and the financial markets to, to fund basically government goals. So it's basically fascism when you break it down, and there's a long history of this. Uh, but but you mentioned back in the 80s that we have in common that I worked for Shearson Lehman Hutton, as it was known by <laughs> back then, and they were part of American Express. And I know of one example where, yeah, you didn't have a choice with regard to, to where you uh, uh, contributed your money after tax. Um, but the 80s are a good uh, starting point for all this because you know, I, I think this has been a 40-year progression. Um, in terms of climate change, sustainable development, and now ESG investing. And, and all three are, are very closely intertwined. They're basically three legs of the same stool that has been set up by activists uh, led by the United Nations. Um, so you need to look at it uh, from that perspective because that will determine what tactics we need to use to reverse it, given that the other side has a 40-year head start on us. But um, – ESG investing is basically the funding mechanism, is the way I would describe it. It's going to be used uh, to finance all of these uh, clean energy initiatives. It's also going to be used to defund oil and gas and, and any other secondary uh, goals of, of ESG. But you know, it's, it's gotten to this point because uh, we're talking about lots more money than just like you know, personal contributions that you can control uh, among your employees. Now we're talking about trillions of dollars of capital that moves every day. And, and so there's a reason why the government and activists are trying to, to bring the financial markets to heal. It's because of so much money there. And there are a lot of grifters along the way who are making very good careers out of all of this. It's, it's not a multi-billion. It's a multi-trillion dollar 
Ponzi scheme. And I, you mentioned Ponzi. I mean, it is a Ponzi scheme uh, in your book. But you also mentioned Bernie Madoff and how all this ties in. How does uh, Madoff tie into this? Well, I mean, he would be an example of basically a, a, a fraud or an, and a scam that that actually had fairly long legs. I mean, it took 17 years to to s- discover his fraud. He had the benefit of working in the private markets. Um, you know, this is also a fraud uh, that's being perpetuated on the markets because, you know, the argument that's being made is that if, if you start investing now and, and forcing your companies to – to follow the same kind of strategic uh, goals, um, even though it's not financial, it's going to create financial value for you down the road. They never quite define, you know, how long the long term takes to realize. Um, but you know, it's it's a very amazing Jedi mind trick that they're trying to to push onto the market, and and a lot of people within the industry uh, are, are not really seeing the forest for the trees here. Uh, and that was another reason why I wanted to write the book, because no one's actually ever given the insider view from Wall Street about why this is bad and, and, and offering up you know, a critical view of it. You're not allowed to, basically, right? But I think there are a lot of people no. in the industry who are nor- – you know, in Wall Street, you're, you're told to keep your head down and focus on making money. And, and that's one reason, you know, a contributing factor to the 2008 crisis, I think you have the same dynamic working here around ESG. No one's really realizing the long-term negative implications for the markets or, or for business in general. They're too focused on either making, you know, some short-term money around ESG or, or they don't think it's actually going to, uh, to have legs, which I think is naive. Well, we've gone from a free market economy to one where, as you call it, is now tending more and more towards fascism. And um, the UN had put out back in, what was it, <clears throat> let me see, 1987, a report called Our Common Future, where they started to um, throw around the term sustainability. And when I heard my county council using the word sustainability, I'm sorry, uh, my ears picked up and all of a sudden my head started to explode. But they use these keywords, and they say, well, you, you're not taking care of the environment. You're not being responsible. Um, it is, uh, what, what did you call it? Um, uh, what, it's, a, it's social. Everyone has their finger in the pie, the community. Instead of having the investor saying, all right, fine, I'm going to invest my money in this company because I think they've got a good track record and they're expanding, they're bringing in more employees, they're producing better goods than anyone else, and I see a good return. So the company at that point would be responsible to its employees and to its investors. But now you're responsible to the entire community, and so now that whatever you do, the entire community must benefit. I'm sorry, I'm a gun manufacturer. I'm worried about my my customers, my employees, and my investors. Uh, does that mean because I manufacture guns, I'm going to be bad for the community? But isn't guns protected under the, 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 the Constitution, the Second Amendment? It, it, it's gotten so off track. They make this so woke that when you start thinking like this, bad, and then you're shamed. And this is forcing everyone now to toe the line. You can't think independently anymore. No, and it, it, there's a, a, a very totalitarian aspect to ESG uh, and the entire program 
and as you say, people are not allowed to speak out against it. But it's very similar to climate change. Uh, no one's been allowed to to offer a critical view there really for the last two decades. Otherwise, you're called a climate denier. You know, and I've been called a climate denier for the last you know at least eight years. And I always laugh, you know, whenever I hear that, because that just tells me that the other side doesn't have an argument to offer. They, they, they need to shut down any criticism because they're not up for the debate. And you, you see the same dynamic developing um, with ESG. But uh, you mentioned, um, you know, our common future and, and the whole coining of sustainable development uh, with, with that 87 uh, report that was issued. And, and that's where, you know, the, the, the first um, instance where the business community was laid out as being uh, responsible for all of the problems of the, of the planet uh, and, then, and basically co-opting them into the solution. So that's where it started with the UN. And then ESG investing is just, again, the last leg of the stool. But it, it's also a ridiculous premise because if you have a CEO, whether it's a public or private company, you know, he is expert in his company and his industry. But, you know, you know, his skill set is not his or her skill set. It's not qualified to make them a solver of all the world's problems, uh, a number of which are subjective. And, and arguably, that should be the role of government, right? That should be the real role mm -hmm. of, like, the United Nations and a lot of the, the development banks that were set up in the post-war period. You know, all of those institutions now are focusing on climate change, and, and moving away from their original mandate, which is to reduce poverty and spread development. Um, you know, this, this whole concept of sustainable development, um, you know, applies kind of a, um, a, a environmental test for, for every aspect of economic activity. And what it does is it subjects, you know, every economic decision to how it's going to impact the environment. And it's not an objective environmental analysis. It's all about climate, and it's been that way since the 1980s. So whenever they say clean air and clean water, no, you know, carbon dioxide is not a pollutant. It's a very abstract concept. But, you know, if you can control everyone's emissions, you can control every citizen, right, because every, all economic activity is driven by fossil fuels usage. So that's the reason why this whole agenda and why climate change is really the core of ESG as opposed to some of these other more woke issues, um, which I would throw in the category of, of um, uh, kind of um, cultural, you know, the latest skirmish in the culture war, not to minimize them. But I think if you're looking at just the ESG, we need to keep the focus on the financial markets and what's happening there behind the scenes and also the focus on net zero and, and, and forcing this transition away from fossil fuels. That's going to be where the pain is going to come for most Americans. Well, there is that beef company, that worldwide beef company, Letitia James is going after because they're not green enough. She's saying that they're misleading. So she's going to sue this one company for producing beef worldwide. Now, I, I had a rant on a little before you came on uh, about this uh, because she wants to, as you do, do the ESG. She wants to, everyone to be woke. So go after this beef company to close them down like she is trying to do with Donald Trump, and yet the U.N. at the same time is trying to get everyone off of eating meat to eat more plant-based food products, and yet you want us to control the amount of CO2 in the atmosphere, claiming that we're changing the climate because we're changing CO2. No, the sun 
alters the amount of CO2 in the climate based upon how warm or cold we are and how the plants reproduce through photosynthesis. So you reduce CO2, so you reduce the amount of plants growing to feed the world you claim is starving, and so you take meat off the market so they can't eat food if they can't grow food, it is a no-win situation, and we are on the losing end of it, isn't it? Yeah, no, I mean, uh, just going through that, you you highlight the issue with the other side is that it's completely inconsistent, and, you know, they don't seem to respond to logic. Uh, at a a certain level, the people driving this, you know, are not open to debate. And they've been telling us that for decades, that they don't want to hear the other side. So, again, our tactics need to be decided based on that reality. But but none of it hangs together, as you say. And there are studies finally coming out from the scientific community, which has also been kind of cowed into uh, staying silent for for far too long about this. But there are studies coming out recently that – talk about the fact that temperature leads carbon dioxide as opposed to the reverse, right? And the paleoclimate mm-hmm. data that we have going back millions of years shows that it's temperature moving before CO2. And if that's true, then the entire climate change argument falls away, right? You know, exactly. you know our burning hydrocarbons is not adding incremental CO2 into the atmosphere, which is somehow raising the average global temperature and changing our, our climate systems, Right. All of that evaporates, um, and, and more people, more Republican pol- politicians need to, to focus on that. Um, but, again, it, it's all based on e-logic um, in terms of the argument. But you mentioned uh, the Letitia James and the news this week about JBS. That highlights how second oil and gas, the next target is uh, agriculture um, and farmers and ranchers. And you see this over in Europe. Um, in terms of the attempt to shut down uh, like 3,000 farms in the Netherlands. And the Netherlands basically feeds the rest of Europe, right? Um, mm-hmm. but, and the argument being made over there is that, um, you know, nitrous oxide, which, again, is, is an even more trace greenhouse gas than CO2, um, and all of the greenhouse gases, you know, sum to less than 1% of the atmosphere by volume. So a lot of this is just hysterical in terms of the argument being made. But they want to shut down farms um, and, and make all of these farmers that, that sell out to the government promise never to do farming in the EU ever again. Um, and, and, and that's going to have obvious uh, um, consequences in terms of food scarcity, all in the name of trying to get emissions down for a trace greenhouse gas. So, you know, there are people on the other side who actually believe this, and you can see the policies now that are being implemented, which are obviously very extreme, but no one's backing away from it. So the, the issue with Letitia James, I think that, that fits into that um, let's go after agriculture mode because of its uh, carbon footprint. Uh, but with JBS and her lawsuit that she's bringing there because of basically greenwashing, which is the term used for people, for investors or companies that you know, overpromise when it comes to ESG and climate change. Um, you know, the funny thing to that is that it's, it's a very subjective system, this whole ESG uh, program. And, and a lot of companies initially were promised that they could use their own custom approach to it. So, you know, you lay that out as the, as the original plan. And then now um, the activists are turning on all the companies and investors for making misleading statements or for, for not towing the line according to what the third parties want. And that, that seems to be the case with 
with JBS um, in terms of some of the goals that they've sent are aspirational um, or they're not, you know, focused on scope one, two, and three emissions. Um, and, and when you throw in scope three emissions, that basically is forcing a company to stop doing what it's doing. Uh, so there's a, there's a logic to why everyone pushes for scope three emissions. But these greenwashing cases where you bring lawsuits, and the SEC here in the U.S. has brought a number of them under the Biden administration because one of the first things that, that the White House did was set up a, an ESG and climate task force within the SEC in 2021, and they've been bringing cases against a number of investment firms, um, including you know Deutsche Bank and BNY Mellon and Goldman Sachs, for misleading statements around their sustainability funds. Um, so this, these, these uh, lawsuits that are being brought, uh, brought and the fines around so-called greenwashing, I think, is laying the pretext for regulations uh, uh, from a number of financial regulators in this country as, as the justification for we need to protect investors from this you know, terrible thing called greenwashing. Um, so I think there's a, a, a method to the madness here with some of these lawsuits. And now the blue states, including New York, are getting in on the action. But, but all the blue states and cities have been suing the oil and gas industry because of climate change for, for years now. So this is part of that same kind of game. You know, state of, as you can tell from my dialect, I'm a native New Yorker. I'm living in the South. I may not have been born here, but I got here as fast as I could. Uh, how Long Island was such a verdant belt of farms and, 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 and uh, herds of cattle and sheep and cabbage and potatoes. My goodness, Lay's Potato Chip had their headquarters right out there in Suffolk County and Calverton. Um, what we had upstate of the dairy farm, it was the headquarters of dairy in the United States, upstate New York. What they have done to our, our state is unbelievable. But, you know, people don't understand. They're, they're hearing the key words that the woke people are putting out there. They're hearing these talking heads on TV and in the print and with their little uh, postings on the Internet, social media platforms, but they're not knowing the facts. And I'm wondering, because um, you quote two books in your, in your book, on Ayn Rand, Atlas Shrugged, which I've read. As a matter of fact, my late husband took a great picture of me, snuck up on me when I was sitting there reading it in the living room one day. It was a great picture. I've got to put it up on the Internet one day. Um, but we're going down that path that Ayn Rand predicted. But it also you bring up again in the book Animal House. And again, you're citing exactly what George Orwell predicted. And it, it's as if they saw the roadmap way ahead, and we're living that roadmap. And you're writing that by 2030, we're going to see this into full effect. Is there a point of no return? Is 2030 it, or are we hitting that point now before 2030? Is there a way of coming back? Is there a point of no return? Um, yeah, I think at a certain point, uh, you know, we'll, we'll cross a line where it's going to be very, very hard to, to reverse this. And, and, and frankly, given, you know, the inroads that ESG has made on Wall Street since the, the 2008 crisis, um, it, it's very tough for a lot of firms to, to walk back their support for it um, at this point. Um, and, and basically nobody is because they know the regulations are coming. So no one wants to stick out their uh, um, their neck on that. 
Um, they're waiting to see what happens in terms of uh, the SEC and, and the Federal Reserve and the Department of Labor in terms of all of their proposed rules that will make this system mandatory. So, But I think 2030 is a real date. Um, you know, the, the tendency of a lot of the American public, I think, I think intuitively most Americans know that the climate change argument is a fraud, right? Um, and uh, probably people don't appreciate that how much ESG is, is kind of a, an indirect way of implementing that climate change agenda. But, but most people, I think, know it's, uh, it's a fraud. Um, so uh, there's a tendency to laugh off a lot of the, uh, the fear-mongering about it, at least among the older generations, right? Uh, we have an indoctrination problem with millennials and Gen Zers, given you know how badly our school systems are and 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 what they're mm. being fed in at the colleges. Um, so that's a structural issue we have to address. Um, it's also something to be aware of about because as I go through in the book, uh, with climate and ESG, they're making the same generational argument, or they're they're playing, you know. Um, the young people against old people, and then it's just a matter of time before you have enough generations turn where everyone in charge is of the same mind. So, you know, the clock is ticking on that front. But, but 2030, the U.N. has set out as a, as a key date for both climate change, sustainable development, and then with ESG, the goal is to create a global, a sustainable global financial system by that same date. So all three, you know, programs are working towards the same deadline. And, you know, I, I think we need to take them at their word, even though a lot of their predictions about climate catastrophe have, have proven wrong. Back in the 70s, they, they were telling everybody that we had a risk of another ice age coming as opposed to global warming. Yep. Um, I had a pair but, of Earth shoes. <laughs> I owned a pair of Earth shoes, yes. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I remember in the 70s, we had some really great blizzards <laughs> here in the New York City area because, you know, we're oh, originally yes. from oh, – yes. we're, we're from Brooklyn originally, so – and I commiserate with you. Uh, it's amazing how New York State has, and the city, uh, has changed yes. over the last several years. Um, yeah, and I remember climbing, climbing out some windows in Westbury uh, to get the shovel out of the garage so my dad, I can open the door so my dad can shovel the driveway. Yeah, uh, yeah. And Brooklyn, yes, I'm very familiar with Brooklyn because I retired out of uh, the 90 precinct there. So I'm very familiar with the area. But I, I want to... We're talking about the investing air end of ESG, but there's another more insidious end because you're talking about a one-world financial system. And we're already seeing this happen where certain banks and companies will not allow you to get loans or purchase items or even open an account if you are not of one of the woke agenda. If you had purchased something, it will flag on your debit card. And you also see businesses getting away from using cash and more and more people reliant on using uh, uh, their credit, the cards, or they're on now on their phone, or some people get these tattoos on their hands, or whatever it is. It's going to be another way in which to control the individual's action, much less just the whole world financial. This would be a one-world government where Big Brother is watching over you. Yeah, I, I think that is clearly a part of the ESG program. It's to control companies and investors and, and massive amounts of capital flows in the market. But there is, as you say, also a parallel uh, program focused on individuals and, and the push for a, um, uh, a, a, uh, a digital currency um, 
uh, maybe personal carbon emissions trackers where they can really control all of your purchases. Um, it, it's all to constrict the individual's economic freedom. Um, the same that they're doing with through ESG for companies and investors. So all of this is about political and economic control. And as I mentioned, if, exactly. if, if, if they win the argument that emissions, carbon emissions, uh, are ruining the planet and, and use that as pretext to control basically every economic transaction, uh, it's going to be a very negative scenario um, because fossil fuels and capitalism drive economic freedom. It's a very Democrat, uh, democratizing uh, phenomena. And, and that, that's another reason why I think it's being targeted, right? This could be the most effective mm -hmm. attack on that capitalism, I think, in the last 200 years because it's so insidious coming you know, through kind of a moral attack uh, behind the scenes, not transparent to the public, and, and it's like a, a frog in boiling water slowly. You don't realize what's happening until it's, very, it's almost too late. Um, and I do think between mm -hmm. now and 2030, it's going to ratchet up. So people, I think, need to be aware of that. The, we'll see where the push goes in terms of, of the banks and trying to force you not to use cash um, and, and so a digital currency and exactly what that looks like. Um, and then around the fossil fuel industry, we'll see if there's a, a, a global climate emergency declared. My personal forecast is that it happens sometime around 2025. So after we get through all of the elections this year, and it's a very big election year worldwide in 2024, particularly this con mm -hmm. country, obviously. Um, but in 2025, I, I think the body language is clear from the UN, some of the other groups, including the International Energy Agency, that they're going to declare a global climate emergency. And as we saw through the pandemic, that would give them more emergency powers to be more aggressive. Um, so, you know, we need to prepare ourselves for that eventuality. Yeah, and if people think it's not happening now, I a couple of months back went to a, a place to purchase something, and gun was in the title of their name, and I used a PayPal credit card. No sooner do I get in my car, I get this thing that my account, my my credit line had been frozen. So I get back home, I call them, and I said, I purchased XYZ over at this place. Did you freeze my account because there's gun in the name? No, no, ma'am, no problem, I'll just... You know, I knew that's exactly because how do they know within minutes of my making that purchase that I purchased something with from a company that had gun in their name? And if you look at your electric bill when it comes in, they'll give you how much energy you've been using compared to other residents in your neighborhood. If that's not getting ready to control you, and now recently my electric company put this meter on my box to tell them, you know, how much and they can control how much energy goes into my household now. It, it's here. Uh, it is here. Um, yeah, I would, I would take that smart meter is probably what they call it. I would take that off your house uh, if I were you. They, they, they're doing that here in, in New Jersey, um, and we decline because that smart meter, you know, they tell you, uh, again, anything that's bad for you, they tell you it's good for you to sell it to you. So, you know, the, the, the smart meter allegedly is, is supposed to allow them a 15-minute snapshot of your power usage throughout the day to help you make better decisions about turning off lights and, and leaving switches on, which I think we all kind of came to that point, uh, you know, after we become adults, right? 
Um, so if you see your, your monthly or annual bill, you know that you need to do something. You don't need a 15-minute snapshot. But what it gives them is, is uh, a picture into your, your particular usage. And with that knowledge, you know, if it's a crisis or not, it gives them the ability to turn off your house. And we've been getting those same kind of – every month they print these things out showing your house versus an average house versus an efficient house. And, uh, again, it's, it's all these smart meters and then the smart thermostats that they try to sell on top of that. It's all a way of, mm-hmm. of trying to control you. The smart thermostat, uh, despite what they say, will allow them to control the temperature in your house. And, and obviously that's a problem. Older people in your house, you need it a couple of degrees higher or not. You, you can't have somebody outside of your house controlling right. the thermostat. It's tough enough being married exactly. to trying to do that. So. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. So, we're down to our last two minutes here. Curtis, we're down to our last two minutes. So I, I know okay. you've got a question, but we're running out of time. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to know if we had an option to opt out. That's all on the smart meters. You do, yeah. We opted out here. So they, they give you the option to opt out. Uh, you're in uh, South Carolina? Florida. Right? No, I'm in Florida. Florida. Okay. Well, it, it would be very disappointing if, if your utility in Florida um, was worse than mine up here in New Jersey. But you have the ability to opt out, but you have to pay okay. for them. You have to pay for that right to opt out. So they'll charge oh you something, some ridiculous amount of money, because uh, 15 bucks a month, because – Allegedly, they have to send out a meter reader now since you don't want to have a smart meter. But even when they were supposed to be reading your meters, you probably had the same thing. They wouldn't show up every month. They would estimate it, you know, you know several months out of the year. Mm-hmm. So, but I, I think the, the amount of money for your economic freedom is well worth it. And, uh, and who knows? There may be a, a, a class action lawsuit around some of these utilities because you can't really justify the fee that they have for not putting in a meter that they were going to give you for free. So I, I would look into that with uh, Florida okay. Powers here, utility. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would take a look at Florida that. Florida Power Light. Thank you. Well, uh, Paul, the name of your book is Race to Zero, How ESG Investing Will Crater the Global Financial System. And, folks, this is a handbook on what's going to happen to you in the very near future. Uh, do you have a website people can go to and find you at? Uh, you can find me through uh, NYU Stern, where I teach, and I'm also on social media, on LinkedIn, and uh, through Twitter. Well, thank you, Paul. Uh, like I said, there's so much more to talk about. We're going to have to have you come back on in the near future. Thank you so much for joining us, and thank sure, you for opening you. the eyes of a lot of listeners. Okay. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're All right, welcome. Take care. Quite uh, check out his book, which you can get up on Amazon. And that's all we got. We're just uh, seconds away from the end of the show, Curtis. Uh, we will be back next week. We got Mark Tapscott will be joining us next week. Um, I've got a couple of people possibly lined up. Um, I'll let you know who it is. Uh, meanwhile, Curtis okay. and I are going to do a dry run on this other uh, program on Sunday. And if all goes well, we'll launch it on Friday. So if you don't see us here on Blog Talk Radio, please go to our website. I'll make sure I have the links up there that you can click on and then join us directly on our website. And I want to say thank you, everyone. Good night and God bless.